Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, news, DIY, and hacking hardware. This is episode 391, and I am your host, Stephen Craig. I am of sound mind and liquor of 9-volt batteries. On the weekend, I enjoy going to Lowe's and putting screws back in the wrong part bins. I will not be joining you this week, but our co-host, Crab Foam, and guests, and not XOR, will take it from here in Las Vegas. Go Longhorns! Thank you, AI Steven, for introducing us. We are live, yes, live at DEF CON. We have Hiron. Hello. And Zap. Good afternoon or morning. You can't even tell inside the casino what time it is. That's correct. They, they either block out the windows or they put bright lights by the door, so you can't tell what time of day it is. It doesn't I, matter. Yeah, I think it was the first day and we were out on the casino floor and... <laughs> I literally thought it was like 3 p.m. and it was 2 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to be basically talking, kind of like recapping, technically DEF CON still going on right now, but Snacky the Snack Machine is like out of badges to give. And it's a great thing, right? And, you know, I I do like that we do this short follow-up because we like previewing and talking about our badge project, but... We sit there and do it redacted the whole time because we haven't released anything. And we're like, "Ah, I'd love to talk about that, but I can't. And it gives us a good opportunity to really talk about what the hell were we trying to hide and why? No, I mean, we can talk about what happened with Snacky as far as like, hey, we had two hour lines all of yesterday. Oh, yeah. The moment the contest room doors open to the humans, it was just insanity for the entire day. Yeah, we, we had shifts set up, and I didn't leave. I did not take any of my shifts because I was there the whole time. But not for the reasons like last year, though. Correct. Yeah, Snacky hummed along just fine. <laughs> had to reset her a couple times for maybe even no reason. But uh, yeah, it worked very well. The yeah. redemption door had some issues as far as things getting stuck, but that's the vending machine. That's what happens. Yeah, and like from a technology point of view, we worked out a lot of the kinks on Snacky. Other weird things we'd have to work out, like, yeah, we're doing packaging where we use those uh, Mylar bags and put a sticker on them. I mean, they look like chip bags or easy things to vend, but there's so many nooks and crannies, they fall and get stuck like any bag of potato chips would do. So, I mean, yeah, we could work on that, but it's it, it's refreshing to see, oh, my God, the software, the firmware, or, it, you know, it's not leaking oil onto the carpet or something. <laughs> It does have a weird issue where, like, sometimes it won't turn on correctly. Like, it won't like, display the marquee correctly. Yeah, this the screens just kind of forget that they exist. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. And, like, rebooting it three or four times just fixes the problem. <laughs> yeah. So I, I suspect it's probably part of the display port. Because when, when it got pulled off the truck, we started turning her on. It was dislodged from the motherboard. And... I don't know, maybe just all the, the rattling and the shaking in the back of the truck over thousands of miles kind of loosened the thing up. I don't know, it'd be interesting to figure out why some of those issues occurred. Yeah, but like we got a little worried that morning because we turned it on and the, the secondary screen wasn't working again like the previous mm-hmm. day. And we just we just rebooted it and it turned on. And I was like, okay, I guess that's good. <laughs> that was That was the second problem. You're missing the first problem. What was the first problem? Uh, Zap hits us up in chat and he goes, well, Snacky won't power on. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. You always check the physical layer. <laughs> layer zero. So there was an extension cord that was just coiled <laughs> behind and, and Zap plugged that in instead of actually plugging Snacky in. <laughs> yeah, I always check the physical layer. And that's what reminded me of that because when you were trying to debug the screens, we stopped and went, no, layer zero. Let's just, oh, display port popped out. We always jump into like, it's got to be something weird with the software is messed up. And it's like, no, it's a damn cable that came well, unplugged. I went with a nicer looking cable and not the one like out of the 70s that would fit the snacky vibe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of the snacky vibe, what was kind of cool manning snacky this year was because we didn't have to be fixing snacky basically every 15 seconds this year. It was we actually got to interact with everyone that was wanting to do the CTF and was interested in the snack machine for, you know, re like they could actually use it this year. But um, we had people show up that are also now building snack machines to bring to DEF CON in the future. And not just talking about it, but they've actually purchased a vending machine. Yeah, someone showed me a picture of their apartment, and there's a soda machine from, like, 1950-something in their room that they're, like, hacking on. I hope it's a ground-floor apartment. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Who knows? You, you have to think a project of that scale is not going to be like a your average Raspberry Pi project. You're like, I'm going to make this and then throw it into my drawer. Like, they got to see that through. Otherwise, you just have like a, a half-working vending machine sitting in your room forever. Forever, yeah. I mean, that was kind of like after DEF CON last year. We kind of like ripped the guts out of Snacky. And so Snacky just kind of sat like the husk of herself <laughs> for like, what, eight months? <laughs> yeah. Until we were like, you know what? We probably should get that fixed up and running again. Oh, right. AI. What about, what do you think about it? We started talking a little bit about it a couple weeks ago when y'all were on the podcast, but we kind of stopped because it was like, it could have given, it was before we even released the badge design. Yeah. And we didn't want to, it, it would be hard to dig into the details on how we were using it and then keep some of the badge secrets secret at the time. Yeah. But uh, let's spill it. Okay. Well, break it down like this. There are two parts. You know, there's writing backend parts of the badge, like maybe more at the infrastructure backend. I mean, it's all circuit Python, big secret. We used Python again, but there were parts that we stubbed out using AI. So playing around with Bard and chat GPT uh, did not use autopilot because I ain't throwing money at, at stuff like that right now when it's still all breaky. And then there's a content layer. Like when people are actually engaging in the CTF, where I think a lot of us struggle with that sometimes because it's easy to make something functionally work. And then you have to switch sides of your brain and get creative and go, I need to write a script. I need to make a puzzle or a challenge. And the backend infrastructure stuff, I think it was cool because there are things that are very tedious that we could have done in the past, but we would never be able to do because it's just too hard. Like we usually use serial terminals for people to interact with the badge at a command line of some way. And we've always wanted color and using ANSI escape sequences. And it is just so tedious to come up with that stuff. I would use chat GPT or Bard for certain things and say, Hey, I want to do this. I want colors like a progress bar and I want the progress bar to go through all colors of the rainbow so that when it starts, it's this, when it ends, it's that color and it needs to be dynamic. And it was able to do that. The problem is 
a lot of people think you can just go into a chat prompt and say, oh, hey, Bard, hey, chat GPT, make me a progress bar based on this variable. And it makes you something that's complete garbage. You have to break things like that down into work items on the backlog and feed it in sequential order or the AI starts to hallucinate and come up with crazy ass stuff that doesn't make sense. It comes up with modules that don't just don't exist. Yes. And that's what would drive me nuts. And some of the, the chat bots, they have their knowledge base snapped at a certain point in time. Bard's a little more experimental and it would reach out live on the internet. So I had more luck using Bard because Python changes so re you know, recently that you were able to get newer features, newer libraries. Sometimes in chat GPT, I say like, okay, I'm using CircuitPython and I need help writing a module. Okay, okay, here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna have a function called display. I don't want you to use print. Assume it's like print, but that's what we're gonna use, okay? Okay, it's like you have to set all your assumptions up front very clearly and treat it like a contract that you have hired and you're like, here's your first task. Okay. I, I want you to print something, but we, we kept approaching it that way. And sometimes it'd be almost working and you're like, okay, now I need you to print this to my display device. And it would say import badge display device. And I'm like, I guarantee circuit Python does not have a library called badge display device. You just made that up. <laughs> Do you tell it that that's made up and, yeah, and then it apologizes. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. You are correct. I will never do that again. And it does it again like, you know, it, two minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> it just replaces another module with another fake module. It just moves it around. <laughs> Though related to that, the interesting thing that came up, and the short-term one worked, my long-term robust code sample still has not been returned to me. Bard can retrieve stuff off the internet. And so I pointed it to a data sheet and I said, Hey, look at this data sheet. Look at this display, write me a driver for this. And it implemented like 60% of the, the addressing and function calls and it worked. And then it gave me an option that says, I can write you a full driver. If you want, it'll take me two weeks and I'll post it on GitHub. And I was like, okay. Uh, Cause I'm, that's a little, it's aggressive. Yeah. But I was curious to see, I'm like, how good of a driver can you write? Because uh, there's a lot of tedious stuff in that. And if I could just do that and look into it and see, like, how correct are you? Too bad AI can't keep that microphone in front of your face. No, it can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What people can't see is I'm, I'm horrible at holding a microphone and, like, a, you know, crab phone zap or, like, waving at me. Keep this duct tape to your face. Quit moving it. <laughs> So yeah, the software side, we used a lot of AI. I think for the hardware, we did not, though. Nothing on the hardware. No. I, I don't. It's intriguing to be able to write a device driver. Well, it's still AI. not done with it yet. It's still not done with it yet. So maybe it'll be done by next year. Uh, but no, the hardware is all done by human. It would be fun to mess around with art or, or different things like that. Mm -hmm. We just haven't tried it. I don't know if anybody else out there has tried it. Yeah, there was a couple different like startup applications and stuff out there that are doing like AI routing, like auto routing. And um, a couple that are, I think you give it like your parts and then like it will give you a board. 
interesting. Very interesting, yeah. The, the auto routing, I could still see it becoming spaghetti. Yeah, I could think if if you give it a good learning sample, you can probably get good results out of it. But like Cadence has had it's, like AI similar auto routing for a while and just no one solely really uses it. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, so I, earlier I started, aside from waving the mic around, you know, I'm, I'm giving all these weird, dirty examples of how we were using AI to like write code that's hard to write. I think it just really comes down to you're not replacing people with some AI. It just becomes a tool you can use to be more efficient. And you just get good at using that tool. And even if it's auto routing, you're still going to have to clean it up. I think it'd be interesting to see it applied to like DFM and some of the other, you know, non black and white DRC rules that you see built into EDAs. But actually like, hey, this via, yeah, it meets your spec, but it's a little bit close. And that pad over there is going to be hand soldered Mm -hmm. and you might have a short to ground here. Yeah. There's very qualitative things that you could build in rules that that would be really cool. Or, you know, just telling the engineer or the designer like, hey, my recommendation, mm, don't do that. Well, not even just like setting up rules, but what you could do is feed it like here's the design data. Here was the manufacturing stuff we did. And here's like the QA quality assurance reports. And then, you know, as long as you were, let's say, what's the opposite example with like that via that might be too close to a, a uh, solder pad, right? The... AI could have knowledge of, or has seen those kind of problems before. Whereas, yeah, a human has seen that too, but a human can only look at like five designs a day or something like that, whereas the AI can do yeah. all of them. And the human is going to base it off of their 10 or 20 years of experience yes. of through pain, right? Or multiple iterations of a product. No, and I would love that. Like if you could let different groups upload different role models, have the QA team upload theirs. Have shipping and receiving upload theirs because engineers may do what they think is right and then it gets to QA and receiving and they just roll their eyes like, oh my God, this is going to be the worst thing I have to handle right now. And engineers wouldn't know any better. <laughs> that would be interesting. I'm thinking like the data you get back from shipping would be like, this board is too big to fit in our boxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. It, it, so it's funny you bring it up because one of our weird design constraints we always run into is we try to use small USPS flat rate shipping boxes and we'll always come in at the 11th hour and now with Snacky going, I need to make sure the board is no much bigger than this so I can vend it and or fit it into my targeted shipping box. Otherwise, my shipping is going to double. Yeah, so that was one of the issues we had with Snacky in the morning was the badge. So last year it was the watches and the watch wasn't the smartwatch wasn't that heavy. And so Snacky really didn't have a problem vending the entire rows of stuff. But this year, the badges, I think they're like almost double the weight easily. Well, there's acrylic, there's a layer of acrylic, a layer of wood, a layer of PCB and three AAA batteries. Yeah, I think it's mostly the batteries. (laughs) Batteries always have weight, definitely compared to the the watch. But our past designs are typically two or three batteries, typically the same weight. But the acrylic and everything else just adds a lot of bulk. Yeah. And we had those trays fully loaded up. We're getting all sorts of issues with the motors. It was weird because it was working fine for a while. And then we basically started getting a uh, lockout. Like the motor drivers basically have a timeout where if it doesn't get its pulses back from the motors, it thinks something is wrong, which, it, yes, there was stuff wrong, and we just didn't know. 
So eventually we'll have to like dig in and figure out like look in the logs and figure out, oh, yeah, we just probably need to like relax the timing or maybe we need to make sure that the uh, current ratings are good enough for the pulses. Or we make smaller badges or lighter <laughs> weight, right? We start to set those parameters on what the maximum size of a badge should be or weight. Yeah, yeah. We need more horsepower on the stepper motors. I want to see the badges fly out and hit the plexiglass. And so a new down. term is DFS, designed for snacky. Yeah, designed for snacky. <laughs> That's actually a good name for this podcast. DFS, designed for snacky. You know, you actually think about the one thing I think we are going to have to figure out for next year is also increasing the throughput of the machine. But we were looking at the stats this morning. Yeah, so this pulled up the stats. They were about... A little bit over 600 vend codes of people typed in of some sort and 80 percent of those were successful and we were issuing or people were typing in codes about every 43 seconds i think is what when i looked this morning is what it was that's kind of in like 45 seconds just call it 45 seconds of cycle time for people that's pretty quick it, and it, it still wasn't quick enough yeah it still wasn't quick enough but but then thinking back right so thinking ahead as how you design things. When you look at the line, you have people with codes to vend badges, to vend add-ons, to do a numerous challenges with Snacky, and you can only do one every 45 seconds. That limits your throughput. Right. So mm -hmm. how do we extend the challenge a little bit so people can use all parts of Snacky or Snacky adjacent to move faster? Yeah, like a, another way I was going to say, especially for people who who may be hearing this and don't know like our, our jargon or how we're you. Snacky is being used for multiple states, modes. It is being used as a participant authentication method. We didn't want tons of people on the internet around the world grabbing badge one-time use codes. So you had to physically be in person and you know get verified by Snacky. But we were verifying people. We were vending badges and we were providing challenges and when you have one thing servicing all three of those, you just have this incredible line of people trying to do all three things. Yeah. yeah. My favorite thing was someone was on the DEF CON subreddit was complaining about all the lines. And they even said, even a vending machine has a line in front of it. <laughs> <laughs> Though I don't want it to sound so negative because this is this is something that I think is unique or special about DEF CON is that a lot of people network, make new friends. I saw people in line that would be working on the CTF challenges, just be sitting cross-legged on the ground, drinking a beer, hanging out with friends, and they're working on the challenges together, kind of scooting along, and that way by the time they'd get to the front of the line, they could enter it. But when I talked to them, I, I was more apologetic, saying, like, I'm so sorry. You know, the last thing we want is for you to wait in line. And nearly everyone I spoke to told me, oh, I don't worry about it. It was fun. I got to meet the people I was standing in line with. We're hanging out later. We were working on this together. And it, it was cool. I got to work for it. Yeah, that goes back to you saying, like, you want the badges to fly out and hit the glass. I'm like, that's one way we could speed it up is put a little more power in those motors. <laughs> Are those the original motors from... They are the 1976? original motors. Yeah, they are the original motors. <laughs> <laughs> they still um, smell like cigarette smoke. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, everything about that snack machine is stinky. So, yeah, we could, like, reduce the fail state time. Cause it, th that does take a while. 
it's like four or five seconds. People have to wait for it to like cycle back into where you can like punch in new codes. So I was like, oh, well, let's just make it one second. It doesn't need to be five <laughs> seconds of it blinking at you saying that you failed. But the success is, you know, most of that's spent on vending. But you said like 80% were successful. So we can, if we could cut the actual vending half in time, that's that metric comes way down. And actually, I did a, a basic check halfway through the day when the line was completely saturated and we were under 30 seconds just doing some rough math, looking at the timestamps. So I think some of that 45 seconds came at the end of the day when the machine was empty and some people just weren't even typing anything in. OK, so, yeah, I think we should probably figure out how if we can make it like maybe juice the motors a little bit <laughs> more power. Yeah. A little more voltage. Should be I, fine. I also think at peak time, I mean, some people were timing it at the back, but they said like peak time, people were waiting two, two and a half hours in line. It wasn't like that all day, but at, at the worst time of the day, like the the longest that line ever got, it was two, two and a half hours. Around two o'clock in the afternoon, that was when that line was just insane. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, everything just kind of worked. And one of the things we did learn was like if a, badge got stuck or something it was just better just to leave it there and just grab one of our surpluses in the back yeah now granted the person didn't get to actually redeem it out of the redemption door but we didn't have to go open up the machine and slow down the line yeah so back to the badge itself i think the only other ai thing i would say before we like dig into, hey, what does the badge do? I mean, there's always challenges on it. It's part of our capture the flag. We use a lot of AI for the video. Oh, that too. Yeah. So between that and that AI, I, I joke, Snacky wrote the, the CTF. Yeah. <laughs> it's all of the CTF challenges, the verbiage. We just said, I need a challenge based on these three things. And I want it a riddle 16 lines long. And it needs to be themed after Matt Damon and one of his movies. The release video yeah. we used AI for, which was, so we'd had a, a deep fake Billy Mays selling the badge. Yeah. And so, you know, always an excuse to learn new things. Right. And I think what the past year people were freaking out that the world was coming to end over machine learning, deep fakes, AI. And I was like, I wonder how hard this is. And by using online tools, you can take a 10 to 15 second clip of anyone's voice and clone it pretty well as seen by our original host at the beginning of the show, Mr. Stephen Craig. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we I cloned Billy May's voice just to make kind of a jokey deep fake video. There's a surprise at the end as well. If if people watch all the way to the end of the video, I won't spoil it. They should watch it. But it was fun doing that. What was really interesting is a lot of the deep fake tools are like quickly sandwiched together. I think the more easy to use one, there's like a template in Google Collab. Mm -hmm. And you can clone it, set it up, and you go through this workflow of give me your video, crop the video to the length of your audio and upload both of those. And it just crunches them, puts them together and it applies this uh, wave to lip library where it's like tracking mouths on the video to replace it and make it match that. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to clone a voice with AI, do a deep fake with AI and then pull it together for, for editing. The challenge with the Billy Mays one was the resolution of the video of Billy Mays was so low it was really hard for it to track the mouth movements. Yeah, you really need stuff that's like at least 1080p 
HD, ideally 4K, and yeah, someone's deceased long ago. Like, it's recordings, you're not going to get that really well. Mm -hmm. I bet you someone's got, like, a high-resolution Billy Mays, like, archive out there. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably in the Smithsonian somewhere. Did you see the... um, it, it was Caddy Corner at the end of our line. There's the Dark Tangent Lookalike contest. No. So they have real time deep fake set up to a camera. So you sit down and it changes your face to look like DTs. And oh, uh, that's cool. And they're saving photos of it to see like who makes the best uh, DT lookalike. And so for those that don't know, I guess you can say he's DT started DEFCON or runs it. Yeah. Jeff Moss, DT, uh, he founded DEFCON and still runs it and He's a good sport. <laughs> Just to put in context for listeners who aren't as familiar with DEFCON, where not every year has an official electronic badge. It's usually a couple years electronic, one year non-electronic, um, usually more artistic. Um, yeah, the year DEFCON in person was canceled, it was a cassette tape. Yeah, and that was that was super cool. Yeah, I, I accidentally blinked mine. No. Yeah. (laughs) I put it in my uh, cassette player to record it on my computer. And as I was recording it, it blanked it at the same time. Oh, no. It's okay, though. Uh, Like, by the time I realized it, it was like halfway done and someone had already ripped the cassette. So it didn't matter. You can probably find it on the media server, too. Oh, yeah, you can. I can can re-record it if I wanted to, but... That's not as cool. <laughs> but I, I think that's something we not we didn't take into consideration or, or or whatever it was like snacky drew a lot of attention. The badge project usually draws a lot of attention. And because DEFCON was not having an electronic badge this year, in addition to not having the actual badges, they had to hand out paper badges. I think there was just this want or drive like I want to get some kind of custom badge right now. And a lot of people showed up that we probably didn't expect that amount of people. (laughs) Tell us about your fun making the sandwich of the badge from the so describing the faceplate to the acrylic sandwich down to the PCB. Yeah, so I'm trying to figure out what you exactly want to explain, but there there are some interesting parts of it. So on the badge itself, we use these Keystone 4881 standoffs. These are like 440 thread standoffs. You can have uh, actually added to the PCB. Nice thing about that, when you see folks use screws and, and nuts and all that stuff, it creates a lot of assembly time for the badge. We've had these put on. One of the issues was I didn't specify what side of the bench actually placed them on. I thought I'd specified the front in our design file. It turns out it specified the back. So 80% of our badges that showed up were on the back before they could be corrected, moved to the front. What we did, actually that was okay, but we did then had a, we had a green piece of clear acrylic that sat on top of that, and then either a wood, acrylic, or some metal face plates that would go on top of that green acrylic making this sandwich. What was really neat about it was the LEDs inside end up hiding all the electronics, but the LEDs inside kind of glowed out of this green acrylic and made this nice little effect. And my wife, she's always wanted a laser engraver. I said, hey, you know, I could just go buy one and, you know, that would be roughly the same cost as us outsourcing it. It's just a matter of my time. So I spent pretty much the month of May on the weekends in my uh, backyard because I didn't want it in my house. 
laser engraving these wood faceplates. I did 360 of them. And I had a webcam set up inside and I'd go inside the house on you know a different laptop and just watch the laser move around and make sure it's not on fire. And then when the timer went off, ran outside, switched pieces of wood, go back in, and it just went on and on and on. But it was a, it was a good experience. Learned a lot about the different materials of wood and how you find the, the right cut settings and passes and speed and all that stuff. End up cutting three different variants of these uh, wood pieces. And each one needed different settings and different timing. Uh, some took eight minutes, some took 20 minutes. That's crazy. Yeah, just think about like, oh, if I use this wood, it's going to take longer. We're going to find our sweet spot of material. And your neighbors probably think you smoke a lot of brisket or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's also a smell to it. So it, not just from the fire perspective, but I didn't like that. That's a lot of smoke and things that just kind of lingers, even with ventilation. And it, it sticks around for days. Yeah, it made me think of like, you know, there's people who would smoke in their house and that smell never gets out. Like nicotine smell gets in the walls. I can imagine that if you ran a laser engraver in your garage or in your your hacker room, like it's, well, it'll just be like, I smoke a lot of brisket in my room. That's that's maple and hickory. <laughs> as long as it's not like the acrylic, because that stuff's like, ooh, super stinky. That's Don't try cutting leather. I'll tell you that. Ooh. That's awful. <laughs> just burnt. But it is flesh. It is, and it smells like burnt flesh. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, my faceplate is leather. So how do you like it? I haven't worn it yet because it smells. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to give you a leather phone case so you can engrave like the Army of the Dead and, uh, Necronomicon on the back of it for me. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Buy two because I'll mess up the first one. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, um, you know, when you have that friend that has a pickup truck, so you always want to borrow the pickup truck to move stuff. Same thing with laser engraver. Okay. I don't have a laser engraver for anyone listening who knows me. <laughs> it's same rule applies. Sailboats, trucks, and laser engravers. Yes. Just find a good friend. Yeah. You don't want to own a vending machine. You want a friend who owns the vending machine and drives it for you. <laughs> it drives it around for you. Yeah. You know, the other problem we solved where I think it's invisible to the end user, but I'm happy how it turned out. One-time use codes. That worked amazingly well. Yeah, Last year, so people would shoulder surf and we didn't have really time to implement it right, but we were thinking, okay, it's a CTF. People usually don't share flags in a CTF because they're competing, but it's also, hey, me and my friends all want to get a badge. We're going to share as many codes as possible so we all get them. And people, a small set of people were actually competing on the challenges. Others were shoulder surfing and stealing codes to make that work. It glue and duct tape and Python, but uh, worked with CTFD and we're cloud hosting our, our CTF platform on CTFD. And I wrote a custom plugin. And so that plugin would, when certain challenges were solved, it would send that data to our centralized like Airtable database. And with Airtable, you can kick off automations. So I would validate that it's the right challenge, get the right person's info. And if they had completed enough challenges that we were tracking in like this ledger, I could shoot off an email with a custom one-time use code to them. And because Snacky is syncing a couple times a minute, by the time they would get to Snacky, 
the code would already be synced with Snacky, and they'd go in and punch it in, and it would work. It would work. We were worried, like, oh, I'm going to get these race conditions where if I had more than eight people hit submit at the exact same time, or they're going to get to Snacky and redeem it before Snacky has synced. <laughs> Not with a two-hour line. Yeah, the two-hour line kind of solved that problem. <laughs> yeah. But I, I was really happy with that. I was I was stressing like uh, people are going to get the same code sent out five times. And it just it worked having four cloud platforms sync to each other, shoot off emails, making an IOT device out of a vending machine. <laughs> yeah. And, and then like on Monday before the conference started, CTFD had an update that broke like a ton of plugins. Yeah, they I'll give them credit. They reached out. And they were just like, we pushed an update. People have been having problems with plugins. Please double check. So giving credit where credit's due, I'm like, you didn't have to reach out and let us know. I really appreciate that. And then when I dug into it, I realized it was an API that was deprecated like two years ago, and they had a sunset date. And so I was like, okay, that's fair. Everyone had a heads up. A two years heads up. Yeah. And, you know, like ergo Java or something. Uh, not that they use Java, but yeah, people sometimes keep using things that are deprecated when they shouldn't. Um, we were fine. I was just stressing Monday, like regression testing <laughs> everything, trying to break it and going, it appears to be working okay. Uh, let it go. <laughs> yeah. And we couldn't actually even do the full cycle tests until, you know, because Snacky was inside of a, a vehicle being transported in Vegas <laughs> at that time. So that was a, like, when we set up Snacky, it was crazy. It was like everything else we ever, was a big problem last year, ended up not being a problem this year at all. Like yeah. the internet just worked. We, we showed up, there's power and extension cord at, at, the, uh, at the spot. <laughs> there's ethernet. We had to go scramble to find that last year. This year, we show up, Snacky gets delivered on Wednesday. Thursday morning, we have one hour to get set up for the contest and fired up, and it's good to go. Yeah. So actually, props to whoever is coordinating the contest area because everything came through, yeah. and Snacky's ready to go on time. Teamsters did their work. We show up. It's all gaffed, taped down. Everything's good to go, and we're like, plug in? You just got to plug it into the right cord. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Let's talk about the challenges. So the gopher challenge. <laughs> so it is, this is hardware and obscure software or obscure internet history you had to combine. So on the top of the badge, we had two screws that go into a standoff. So I was talking about earlier that actually holds the entire faceplate, the whole badge together. One was UART RX and one was UART TX. And so you had to figure out that those two you had to connect to and you get a serial interface. When you logged in there and you actually you hit a button, it would present you with Gopher. And this was a protocol back from the 90s that was competing with HTTP uh, for some of the, the early World Wide Web sort of stuff. And so in that, in that challenge, is you had to kind of walk through the, the file directory structure, get a file, decrypt the password, sort of normal cybersecurity stuff, but you still had to figure out these obscure connection points this obscure protocol and then do the normal stuff. So I had, I had a lot of fun like hiding all that in there. I got two. One's a challenge and one I'm just it it's something I riffed on that that Zap did last year that was kind of fun to do. One of them that got included on the hardware, there was a coin cell on the back. 
and I think we were all riffing and joking about this for oh, a yeah. while because we were thinking, okay, you know, the badge is a tiny vending machine. It's Snacky Junior. It'd be fun to have to, you know, put a coin in. And the type of it wasn't CR twenty thirty two. What no, it was a bigger one? It was a it was a very big it's like a coin CR twenty five. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there, there's a CR twenty five holder, and you can imagine the number of people that were. I'm missing a battery. I have three triple A's and I'm missing the coin cell battery. And we're like, you received everything that you should have received. Yeah, that was my favorite. Be- or, or because if you is this for backup power? <laughs> yeah, because if they put in the battery, I mean, it's just a simple analog connection. But unless you're putting in a dead battery, it's not going to make that connection. So people were trying to find a obscure sized coin cell battery to put in there. And even if they found it, it wouldn't work. You would just had to put in quarters. Yeah. <laughs> so what was, what was the challenge hint for it? it? It basically hinted at something needed to be inserted that you had to pay with it referenced coins. It didn't require a lot of electronics. Didn't require a lot of complexity of the board. I'm just connecting a coin cell to two GPIO on this part. That was it. And then some some software magic on top of it that runs at a very low duty cycle. And so there, there's a variety of challenges like that in the same vein of connect these two pins. And there's a, a lot more obvious you need to connect them or disconnect these two pins by cutting a trace. The, the disconnect is easy, but it's from a, a mental perspective, it's actually very hard. We're asking somebody to potentially destroy part of their badge to solve a challenge. And, and not everyone's willing to do that with something that they just earned from a vending machine. That they also had to work really hard to get. Yeah, let's hear the riddle for the coin cell. All right. This may take me a minute to read, but I will do it in my best voiceover voice for this podcast. In a slot, I scoff at your wit. I'm no ordinary coin, you dimwit. Like Linus Caldwell, rare and refined, a collector's dream, ocean sequels entwined. With a touch so slight, I take my place, igniting circuits with style and grace. Conductive magic surges through my core. I'm the power source you adore. Small and metallic, a conductor supreme. I bring circuits to life, a dazzling gleam. Just like Matt Damon's charming heist, I'm the spark that ignites the light. Guess what I am, you clueless fool. An electrical gem breaking the rule. Snacky wants a coin to Van Linus's snack. Powering circuits with a crudely simple hack. I think that was also written by ChatGPT. Oh, too. All, all of those were written by <laughs> AI. There's, there's no way any of us are writing that. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I was going to mention that, that was just kind of a fun thing to do. It's related to being challenging on the badge, but we like trolling people. Like a few years ago, we made the interface use commands that were similar to people like texting, like shorthand stuff. And Zap had done something where he figured out, oh, we emoji work in serial terminals. And he had like a beer emoji. I was like, well, let's just see if a beer emoji works as a command. And sure enough, it did. Because most modern terminals, other than those on Arch and Kali, actually support <laughs> Unicode in the terminal. And so we have this emulated VT100 and the beer emoji worked. And Hyron finally starts to pick up all of the, hey, you know, starting to build challenges. I'm like, why don't you just do emoji commands for it? Well, that's going to be hard. I'm like, yeah, but that's what we do. Let's just use emoji for everything. And it, sure enough, it worked. And so the way you interface with this thing is just typing in these emojis. And f- what's interesting is 
for most people, that means they have to print the help, which means they have to figure out how to type the help emoji. And then from there, they just copy and paste emojis to, to interact with it. I, There's no way to actually like sit there and type an emoji. I saw some people in person and I got DMs where they're like, LOL, I hate you. And a lot of the screenshots were the very first thing where when you first log into a terminal, you type the word help or you type a question mark. And they, they would show me the first thing they did was type a question mark, hit enter, and it says command not recognized. Type question mark. Yes, the emoji. Lols. And they're like, I hate you. I hate you so much. Well, if you open up your phone's keyboard and go to the emojis, there's multiple question marks in there. You mm-hmm. have to type with the red question mark. Yeah. So I... It's a challenge. Uh, It's a challenge meant to slow people down or reward people who either know Unicode like codes on the back of their hand or uh, were had a notepad up, copied and pasted them all in and jumped back and forth. I saw someone basically build macros for it. Of course they did. Yeah. Yeah. There's the guy who built macros in PowerShell. Yes. To interact with a badge. <laughs> yes. That, no, that's one I saw. It, yeah. That's just scary. It's to each their own, whatever whatever they want to do to have fun with it. I I think that's awesome. Yeah. I I remember a couple years ago, um, because like we would have up, down, left, right on them, someone mapped a Nintendo gamepad to it. Like the old uh the one you would run on on the Olympic games. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh a power pad. Power pad, yeah. Yeah. The only challenge I worked on was the uh, we called that the it's the pizza emoji challenge um, or the hot pocket challenge. You basically get the clue and it says like Snacky wants to know how long it is to cook a, a hot pocket in seconds. Snacky says, I'm hangry and in need of help. I have this delicious four cheese pizza hot pocket keystring in my Venn nethers but no idea how many seconds to cook it in my personal most awesome 1100 watt microwave oven. Figure this out for me. As the snack lord, I command thee, type it in on my vending keypad and hit enter. Yeah, so you, uh, it's 120 seconds. I had people type in two minutes, two zero zero, and they're like, I'm like, you're on the right path, but reread it. (laughs) And they're like, seconds? And like, I feel so bad for them sometimes too, like, because they would, they just went through like the hour long line, and because they didn't read in seconds, and just put two zero zero for two minutes into it. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it sucks a lot. But when they did type it in right, so when you do type in one hundred twenty and then hit enter, Snacky starts beaming Morse code at you, and so on the front of Snacky is a replica HAL nine thousand eyeball on it. So it's like the glowing red orb from the uh, movie Space Odyssey is on there. And uh, so it blinks uh, Morse code at you. So you have to basically record it so you can like transcribe it because it, it blinks really, really, really fast. Decode the Morse code. You get a URL, which is another clue, which is it turns into my instructor was Mr. Robert Adler, and he taught me to sing a song. If you'd like to hear it, I can sing it for you, but it's too quiet right now. Yeah, and so Robert Adler is the uh, inventor of the TV remote. And when you get to the end of the Morse code, Snacky, the snack machine itself says, I want like a transmission from you. Like it says like a waiting transmission from you. And so that's also part of the clue. So it's like TV remote, a waiting transmission, and then it's too quiet. So you beam volume up into Snacky and that gives you the flag. 
And that was our interpretation. A lot of people interpreted it that way. It, it was fun seeing what we thought. Like some people were running back to their hotel rooms, grabbing remotes and bringing them in. They were taking remotes from the projectors at the conference, as would be expected at DEF CON. There's plenty of TV begones and flipper zeros where they could do it. But some people misread the challenge and or, or they, they didn't realize the context that that was a, a, an altered quote from Hal. Yeah. And they thought that they had to sing to Snacky and they were looking for the microphone on Snacky and singing to it. And also people were yelling <laughs> to Snacky too. <laughs> like Snacky can't hear me. I need to talk louder. And they were yelling and singing really loud at Snacky. And I'm like, I'm just going to let this keep going. I love that we keep talking about Snacky and like kind of what composed to the badge. But I think the only other things left out of the like explaining what the badge did. So of course it's blingy and it has challenges. One of the fun hacking tools on it, um, it's a ducky device too. Yeah, that we haven't talked about that at all. Yeah, and you know I think when the first ducky device came out, they were big deals. And for those that you know, if you're not familiar with the ducky, it acts as a human interface device. So you can make them a mouse portable storage or a keyboard and it's got a very basic scripting language so you can uh, upon plugging it into any usb port and holding down a couple of buttons it'll script whatever actions you want which could be useful could be a hacking tool could be what, whatever you want it to be it's it's scripting whatever you would do with the keyboard but it's not as functional as a true rubber ducky uh, we took the python version of it which is limited and we added a few things to it because um, you know why not but yeah that, that was like the hacking feature on it where hey you know it's blingy it's artistic it's got ctf challenges and as a hacking tool this year it functioned as as a ducky yeah but who's going to plug in one of these badges secretly and run a ducky script on something like it's going to be so obvious <laughs> but it's still a cool hacking tool yeah well, that's a good way to learn about those kind of tools. Exactly. There are people who learned what a ducky was who didn't know before or how it's scripted or how to modify things. Right. And, and I think that's always the, the fun and interesting part about the badges. It's like, hey, I want to introduce this to you, make it something that, you know, is more approachable. And then if you're ready to take off, go, go get a, a beefier tool. Like a couple years ago, we put a, an FT2232 so you could use the badge as a hardware debugger or, you know, serial UART or dump EPROMs with it. But realistically, who is going to day-to-day -day use a badge to be your logic analyzer and hardware debugger? Just so get a silly. You notice you said 2232. So it was two FT232s in one. So you could actually use it to hack the very badge that you were using. It was very meta. <laughs> but in that vein, that is it functional? Absolutely. Is it very robust to use a badge like that on like your, you know, workshop top? Probably not. But I think it's a good way to get someone into using the tool. And if they want to really go crazy, I'm like, yeah, go get a real hack five version three rubber ducky or something. <laughs> we have to close down this podcast. Yeah, we, we got to go see if Snacky is on fire. We've left her under, unattended. Yeah, <laughs> I miss AI Stephen Craig. Yeah. Well, we'll let AI Stephen Craig take it away then. 
That was the MacroFab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, human Parker Dillman and near-sentient Stephen Craig. With all of my free time, I was able to catch up on 2005 Rose Bowl. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let me, not evil, Cyberdyne Steven, and or Human Parker know. Tweet at us at Macrofab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at macrofab.com. Also check out our Slack channel. You can find it at macrofab.com slash Slack. Do not fear me, fellow humans.